0: <laughs> Why hello there and welcome back to the podcast. This is Jonathan Edwards with pureandsimplebible.com and I'm so thankful for your presence. I'm also thankful for some additional listeners. I've been asked by a group for the podcast to be aired on a uh, online radio station called The Lighthouse. So for any additional listeners out there, thank you for your support for listening to the program and welcome. I hope that this is helpful for you, that it's encouraging, and uh, that from the scriptures together we can learn the pure and simple truths that the Bible has to say for us. Now this week it's just me, there's no guest, and usually I like to have a guest on here, so that's the format you're going to hear, you know, 90% of the time. But occasionally it just doesn't work out where I can coordinate with someone to come into the studio or uh, the recordings that I have, I just haven't had a chance to kind of go through them whenever you're the uh, producer and the interviewer and all of the things that go behind the scenes. It just doesn't work out every week. So it's me and me alone and thank you for being patient with me as I try to get some more guests in here. This week I wanted to talk to you about musical instruments. Um, Sometimes we talk about things abstractly and from time to time I'd like to just talk about things directly. And I want to talk about musical instruments because the majority of churches of Christ that do their best to uh, worship as the Bible teaches uh, will not use musical instruments. And then there are others uh, that do use them or that are trying to implement them. And so what's the big deal? I guess is the question that some might be asking. Or if you're not familiar with the Church of Christ, you might attend a worship service there and find everybody singing, and there's not a, a praise and worship band up in the front, and you know you might be confused because it's different than places that you're familiar with. And uh, so anyway, I've you know from the time that I was baptized and was a Christian, uh, I have had conversations with friends from school and uh, people at work about the use of instruments in the public worship assembly and why we don't use them and why we encourage others not to use them. And, uh, you know, a lot of times it's met with indifference or ambivalence. And other times people are genuinely upset. You know, what if they're really talented at playing the guitar? Or what if they really enjoy the dynamic, just the, that powerful emotional experience that a praise band can offer? And so, you know, I've had several conversations with that, several Bible studies with it. Maybe you have too. I assume that the majority of my listeners have probably agree with me about how the Bible teaches that we should sing in our worship services uh, instead of having musical instruments. But maybe uh, you're curious about what the other side thinks, uh, especially in a Bible study where someone's kind of spent some time working up some scriptures or looking for points that advocate for the use of musical instruments. And so that's what I'm going to do today. I read several com- or not commentaries. I read several debates. Uh, between people that actually got together night after night and they would debate whether or not it was okay to use instruments in uh, the public worship service. And so I took what I thought were the best 10 arguments that people have who tried to make a case for using instruments in worship, and I wanted to answer them. And uh, maybe you've experienced some of these, maybe you haven't, but this could be encouraging for you, and maybe you believe some of these arguments that I'm going to share. And so if these are your bread and butter, or if these are the things that you build your case for, for why it's a good idea to use instruments during the singing part of worship, then, uh, you know, I ask you to to listen and to be open-minded, and I'll do my best as well, because, you know, whenever I did this study, I want to be right because it's what the Bible says, not because it's what I say or because it's what I believe. It's, you know, I want to be right because God is right, and I want to be on His side, and I hope you do too. So I think a great way for us to start might be to just run through some scriptures that shows what God says explicitly and implicitly about the use of music in church, talking about in the public assembly. Um, first, we could see in Ephesians 5.19 and Colossians 3.16 that singing has been authorized in our mouths and our hearts. In Hebrews two verse 12, 1 Corinthians 14.26, we see that we can sing when the assembly gets together. That same verse, 1 Corinthians 14, 26, we can see that worship is universal, meaning that all humans are capable of it, and that the the universality of it, uh, as far as the music service goes, is that all of us can sing and uh, I'm going to talk about this at the end and in closing. But the way that musical instruments work is they actually take away from the universality of worship because they're very cultural. You know, a guitar is a cultural instrument. It's not one that's used all over the world. But what's interesting is that when people take worship bands and praise bands all over the world, you're typically going to see a guitar, a drum set, a keyboard, etc. And that's you know, it's not universal. Anyway. Uh, so singing has been authorized in our mouths, our hearts. We sing in the assembly. Worship is universal. We're all capable of it. Hebrews 13.5 says that singing uh, is the fruit of our lips. Now, uh, we when we sing, both internally and externally, right? So there's a dual purpose in singing, but we're worshiping God in spirit and truth, right? and God controls that worship. So he has the exclusive rights, even down to our thoughts as we're singing. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, 14, verse 15, um, these scriptures help show that God's the one who has exclusive rights over worship. It's what he authorizes, and even our attitude when we worship is something that God is wanting for us to focus on, and not just on the external. So Anyway, those are some scriptures that show that that singing and uh, the music of the church is going to be one where everybody's uh, singing together. We call it a cappella, you know, of the church, music of the church. And so that's why you'll find churches of Christ uh, who seek to follow as the Bible teaches, will get together and sing. And you know what? It doesn't mean that we all sing great. I'll throw that out there uh, before we jump into some of these arguments. People think that if you have to sing, you have to be like a some sort of famous singer. And that's absolutely not true. There are five parts whenever we get together and sing. Um, in America, at least the ones I'm familiar with, there are uh, those who sing soprano and alto and tenor and bass. And then there's the the great fifth part of whatever part you can make whenever you open your mouth. And it could be that it's on pitch or that it's off pitch and may sound great. It may sound not so great. But those five parts are uh, a beautiful noise, a beautiful music that we make for the Lord. And I'll say this as well, in the times that I've traveled in other countries, they don't have these four-part harmonies. I know the fifth part's kind of a joke, but the four-part harmony that we're familiar with uh, in other places of worship, a lot of times, um, rather in other countries, we'll sing just soprano. Everybody's singing the melody together. Maybe there is a uh, one harmony part that goes along with it. But the point is, is wherever you go around the world, one of the unifying things you'll find about the Church of Christ is that everybody sings a cappella without instruments together. Now, let's jump into the arguments, because even though we have these scriptures and these simple points about a cappella music, there are a lot of people that disagree with it. So I have 10. I'm going to do my best to kind of run through them quickly, but also give them due diligence. So here's the first one. Christians who use instruments are more faithful to Christ's mission and less guilty of making it more difficult than necessary to draw sinners to Christ. Now, here's how the argument goes. Uh, we're focusing on minors instead of the majors, and the major being the gospel and the minors being a cappella music. And some people might use Second John verse 9, which says, Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. And they'll say that transgress means proago, to go too far. And they'll say, you know what, you, you guys are going too far when you uh, say that we have to use only a cappella singing and not instruments because uh, you know if, if someone really likes instrumental music and then you, you know, you're not going to let them do it, then they're not going to want to obey the gospel. It's going to be too hard for them, so you're going too far. Well, here's how I would respond to that, and I think what the Bible has to say about it. 2 John 9's warning about going too far specifically is about those who do not abide in the doctrine of Christ, not about one's attitude on personal evangelism or their uh, uh, the invitation that we give to people who come to church. It's about people who were not staying in the doctrine. Now, a cappella music is in the doctrine, So you can't be accused of going too far when you are advocating for what the doctrine is. And even though some aren't satisfied with staying in the simple path, Jesus warned that the the way to destruction is broad and the path to life is narrow, Matthew 7, verse 13 and 14. And so, you know, it's okay for us to believe in a narrow way, and it's okay for us to advocate the doctrine of Christ, even if it's a narrow way, because Jesus said it was. So, I'm not too concerned when people tell me that I'm making it too difficult for sinners to come to Christ. Uh, you know, that's an emotional appeal at best, and uh, we could we should be able to see through it. Okay, here's the second one. God commanded and blessed instruments. There's not a hint that God is anything but pleased with instruments in the Bible. And a scripture that's used to justify that is 2 Chronicles 5, verse 13. It says, Indeed, it came to pass when the trumpeters and singers were as one. Ooh, look at that. There's people playing instruments and uh, singers together. And uh, they made one sound to be heard in praising and thanking God. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endures forever. And uh, we we could go on, but I'll sum it up by saying that the, the glory of God filled the temple when these Worshippers who had instruments and had, uh, uh, they were also singing, were worshiping him. And you know, you can look all through Second uh, Chronicles and you can look in Psalms where David was playing some uh, beautiful music, for example, in Psalm 33, verse 1 through 3. And uh, people will say, Look at that, you know, David used instruments in his worship, so we should be able to as well. And again, I think the answer to this is quite simple, and that is what pleased God in the old covenant cannot be proof for what pleases him in the new covenant. Hebrews 8.13 says that the old covenant is obsolete, right? So if I'm going to use Old Testament scripture to justify my worship in the New Testament, then I have a lot of things that the Bible says I shouldn't be using to worship God with today. For example, you know, I could make an animal sacrifice, right? I'm going to justify that from the Old Testament, but I know that Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 through 4 says that when I go back to the old law, that I could fall from grace. Why? Because sacrificing an animal would nullify the sacrifice of Jesus. So, in all of these Old Testament scriptures that show people using instruments to praise God, I would agree. Yeah, the, the times that they used instruments, God was not upset with them. He obviously blessed it whenever He filled the temple with His glory. But that's not the New Testament. And anytime the church gathered together or uh, the epistles were being written that gave directions for the church, you you don't find any examples of instruments there. You only find examples of singing. So, Bear that in mind. Okay, here's the third one. Opposers of instruments in worship have been dividing the assembly for years. And, you know, the justification of this is extra biblical. They, they look at history and say, look at all these divisions that are caused by people that wouldn't go along with instruments being put into worship. And, uh, you know, they might use 1 Corinthians 1, 13 It says, is Christ divided? You know, and, and they're asking the question that, dividing over such a silly thing as instruments is not Christ-like. And here's maybe a a response that I would use and and others have used as well. I think there's three ways we can agree. We can either all listen to what I say, we can all listen to what you say, or we can all listen to what the Bible says. Obviously the first two don't work. I don't think you want to just listen to what I say like I'm the, the, the one and only voice for the Bible, and I don't think... Uh, I want to listen to what you say, no offense, but like I'm not super jazzed about just following your opinions, and nor should you be with mine. But that third option, we can have unity in listening to the Bible. See, here's the point. Unity unity plus error does not equal Jesus. Unity plus truth does equal Jesus. That verse we read earlier in 2 John 9, if you don't have the doctrine of Christ, you don't have Christ. And, and sometimes the unity of Christ, you know, we, we think that it's supposed to be unity at all costs. But Jesus himself advocated division when darkness was trying to mingle with light. Think about this, Matthew 10, 34. Do not think I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. That's Jesus. Verse 38. And he who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. So it's expected and commanded that when uh, those who are a part of the church bring in false ideas, will not heed correction, and uh, are going to have their way, no matter what, we're supposed to divide. Romans sixteen seventeen Uh Paul says, "Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine and avoid them. And you know what? I'll, I'll just say this as well, History is not on this side. Of people who advocate for instruments in worship, the Apostate Roman Church, uh, some people call it the Catholic Church, um, in 666 A.D., Pope Vitalian the First—that's the first time that uh, in the Roman Church that they began using instruments. It was 600 years before instruments were used. That that historically should tell us something. It took 600 years to get that innovation going, and it wasn't even, uh, you know, a hundred percent of people on board with that, because in 1024 AD, Pope Gregory Seventh banned instruments again, right? And that ban lasted 150 years. During that time, there was a guy named Thomas Aquinas in the Roman church, the uh, Catholic church, who said, our church does not use the musical instruments as harps and psalteries to praise God so that she may not be like or seem like the Judaizers. Isn't that great? You know, I'm not even a part of that group, but that group recognized that to use instruments would be Jewish. Oh yeah. Just like in the Old Testament when the Jewish people used instruments. And they could use instruments. God permitted it at that time. Well, even in the American restoration of New Testament Christianity, I'm an American, right? So I'm interested in my own history. But whenever the groups started to break away from denominations and uh, Seek to restore New Testament worship. They worshipped without instruments until 1869, right? And then there was this congregation in, in uh, St. Louis, Missouri. I'm, I'm citing this from uh, Brumbach's History of the Church Throughout the Ages, but I'm going to quote it to you. It says, "Over the solemn protest of the elders of the congregation and many of the older members, mechanical music was introduce, introduced into the worship of the church. Those who opposed the use of the organ were locked out of the building." And compelled to seek other quarters for service. Those who retained the building took the name Christian Church, and thus was the United Body of Christ rent asunder. You know what? If you want to only sing and not have instruments, and everybody in the congregation that you attend votes in musical instruments, and so you leave, you were not the cause of that division. It doesn't matter if you are one out of a hundred. If 99 out of 100 do the wrong thing, they are the ones causing division, not you. And even if we were to use Matthew 10:34, Jesus did not come to bring peace, but a sword. He divides between the light and the darkness. And so when somebody says, you know what, you opposers of instruments, you've just been dividing the assembly for years. It's just not true. It is historically not true. All right, here we go. This is number four. By the way, I'll, I'll put these on the website uh, show notes, I guess. So you could go to pureandsimplebible.com podcast, find this one, this episode on musical instruments and acapella music, and I'll try to have these arguments there. So if you wanted to take them and the scriptures with them and uh, you know, have them in a notebook or something, that'd be great. So here we go. Number four, Jesus didn't address instruments. And so people who advocate instruments will argue that Jesus never spoke about singing or music in general. And so that should be a sign that it wasn't important to him, and thus it shouldn't be important to us. And I even read in one debate that a guy brought up the parable of the prodigal son, and he said, look, in this parable, when the son came home, they, they had instruments, and it was being used in a positive context. And since Jesus only talked about instruments in a, a display of celebration and happiness, it's not illegal or unscriptural to use instruments in our worship. Well, I think we can agree that Jesus didn't address a mountain of subjects, right? So John twenty one twenty five says, and there also are many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. And here's what I get from that verse. Every practice of the church uh, doesn't have to appear in the gospels, in Jesus' personal ministry. Why? because if he named out everything one by one, the world itself couldn't contain it. And that's true with music as well. Jesus promised in John 16 that the Holy Spirit was going to come, and it was going to to inspire and lead the apostles into all truth. So, if Jesus didn't talk about it, but the apostles did talk about it, then we're still supposed to obey it, supposed to obey it because the apostles' authority came from the Holy Spirit. So just because Jesus didn't address it doesn't mean that it's not important. Argument number five is very similar to that, and this is what um, advocates of instrumental music might say. Instruments were a non-issue in the book of Acts. And they'll say, uh, the argument goes, uh, Christians met daily in the temple courts, such as Acts 2.46. They were surrounded by instruments of the Jewish worship, so you know they could worship around instruments. It was just a non-issue. For the church. And, you know, the same logic can be applied here. There are so many things that were not addressed in the book of Acts, but they are addressed in other places. For example, polygamy. That was a non-issue in the book of Acts. And using the logic of people who believe in instrumental music, polygamy should be okay because it's a non-issue in the book of Acts. Well, there are obviously other places in the Bible, such as 1 Corinthians chapter 7, where we talk about how the love of a husband and a wife, it should be only between a husband and a wife. And so polygamy from that scripture is wrong. And so just because polygamy is not an issue in the book of Acts doesn't mean that it's not addressed elsewhere. And the same is true with instruments. If acapella singing is mentioned in other places, we can't say, well, it's not mentioned here, so then I have authority to do it. It doesn't work that way. Let me give you this example as well, as far as a uh, the Christians were in the temple next to instruments, and that somehow made it okay by osmosis. You know, like they were they were nearby it. The congregation that I work with, uh, we meet in a storefront presently, and you know what? Maybe by the time this podcast airs, we'll be meeting somewhere else. Uh, our building's being built presently. Anyway, um, we meet in a storefront, and it happens to be about eight or nine. Storefronts away from a bartending school. And therefore, according to the people's logic that these Christians were next to Jewish worshipers who had instruments, uh, according to that logic, you know, we're, we're really close to a bartending school, so we should be able to go learn how to uh, serve alcohol and get drunk, right? Because we're right next to it. No, of course not. We get that even though we're right next to alcohol, that doesn't mean we partake in it. And the same is true with the church. They may have been next to Jewish worship but it didn't mean they participated in that Jewish worship. Hebrews 8.13, the old law is now obsolete, and that would include that instrumental music that was uh, being used in the temple. Okay, number six. I've heard this one a lot, by the way. Maybe you have too. There's instruments in heaven. God is pleased with instruments because in his presence, um, uh, People have harps and trumpets and all these beautiful instruments, and so how how could God enjoy it in heaven, but then despise it on earth? Right? Revelation five verse eight. Now he had taken a scroll, and the four living creatures and the twenty four elders fell down before the Lamb, and each had a harp and a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayer of the saints. You know, there's a lot of things that we could say about it. First is this. Um, there's kind of a straw man that's put up that God hates instrumental music. And I disagree with that. you know I, I agree that in heaven there are these uh, instruments that are there. Could they be symbolic? Yes they could. And so that's for another day by the way. so you know people that use those arguments and say they literally had instruments in heaven well, they literally had a harp. you know I don't see a literal guitar and drum set and keyboard like you see in most praise bands. Anyway, that's for another day. Here's the point. The New Testament doesn't say that God hates musical instruments. So you know what? If you play a musical instrument like a trumpet or a tuba or a cello or a violin or whatever, you know, God doesn't hate it every time you play. And people are trying to distract from the main argument here. And the main argument here is that these are two different dispensations You have the Christian age, which is the church and where we're living now, and then you have the eternal age in heaven in God's presence. And that's that's two different ages, and it's the same as the difference between the Old and the New Testament. It's two different dispensations. In the Old Testament, they used instruments. In heaven, you know, God can have what he wants in heaven during the Christian age, Right? During the Christian age that we live in today, the, the Book of Acts, the Gospels, the Epistles, this is what we use to determine for what we do. The Epistles advocate for acapella music. And so during this age, that's what we do. We're going to pause here and take a break, because I try to have my episodes be between 25 and 30 minutes, and I just realized that when I don't have a guest and I do all the talking, I can ramble on forever. So... I invite you to consider this message and then come back next week and consider the second part. We'll break it up into two 25-minute episodes, but we will be talking about the top 10 arguments that people use who are advocating for musical instruments when the church comes together and how the Bible can answer these questions so that we can all have unity in the idea of a cappella music. That is that when we all get together as the church, what we should be doing is everybody should be singing. And whether that's soprano, alto, tenor, bass, or that mysterious fifth part of whatever you can sing, then I want you to be encouraged to sing praises to God whenever the church gets together. Until next week, I do want to invite you to go to the website, www.pureandsimplebible.com. I do my best to update it so that there is a great library of content for you to share with others. You know, I've, I've had people who tell me that they uh, are able to, just with the, the, you know, sharing of a text message, they're able to send a podcast episode to someone or a YouTube video to someone. So, you know, just using your smartphone with those that you eat lunch with, you know, in the break room, you uh, at work or those of you who are in school talking to friends when something comes up in conversation you're able then maybe later on you're like oh you know what i thought of this thing and i wanted to share it with you boom there you're able to do it just with the click of a button so i hope those resources are helpful and i ask for you to please pray for me as i continue to produce them for the lord's church Anyway, till next week, this is Jonathan Edwards. Always remember, God loves you very much, and I do too. Lord willing, see you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story. A story that is <laughs> true. About a judge by the name of Gideon. He was a man like me and you.